2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, What would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Papa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. (coughs) Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it. But he refused. This is the word of the Lord. Father of all good gifts, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning to give you thanks that we well enough to be able to be here this morning. And that we're strong enough to be able to think things through that will be presented to us. We pray you'd grant us courage to then move from understanding to applying what we've learned. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are anything like me, I'm a guy who who loves stories. I'm a a typical Zulu guy who was raised in a family where a lot of lessons were presented to us in the form of a story. So So the parents will tell us a story about animals or a story about something, and that story would have a lesson in the end. And, uh, and we do that at home with, with our children. We, we love telling them stories. And, and if you wanted to talk with my 10-year-old daughter about the grace of God, I can bank on it. 
she will take you to this story of Naaman. Because she's heard it so many times. Because she's the feisty one at home. And we're the one who kind of like, just, just come down on things, my darling. Just come down. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king in Iran. He was a great man. And his master loved him. He was a military leader of one of the most strong nations of his time. So this man lived in the leafy suburbs of Aram among the upper class, and he mingled with the kings. He was wealthy, he was powerful, he was well respected by many people, and he was admired by his peers. In our time, if we were to just give him a ministerial position, we would say he's probably the, the Minister of Defense. So he was a happy man. He enjoyed finer things of life. And one day, everything changed in Neman's life. He had an itch, scratched it, and realized it was going gray. He must have gone to his wife and say, you know, I've had this rash. What, 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 do, you, what do you think this is? And to his wife, horror, she also understood it's, it's leprosy. Now, to be diagnosed with leprosy would be diagnosed with basically death sentence. Most of the people at the time, if there was one disease they were so scared of, it was leprosy. Why? Because it was dreadful as a disease, and it was contagious, and it was incurable. So, so you had like a, 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 a chicken pox, but on serious steroids, you know, something like that. And Naaman knew that sooner or later he was going to be kicked out of the palace. He knew that sooner or later he would be kicked out of the village. And he knew that his own dear wife and the children will kick him out of his own house. He knew that he will die like a poor man outside the city gate covered with smelly sores and, 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 and sackcloths. He knew that he would have to, every time when a person was walking towards him, he would have to shout, leprosy, 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 because he was required by the communal law to declare that he was a leper so that other people wouldn't get it. And this man, he would think of all his accomplishment. He would think of his power. He would think of his position. He would think of his prestige. He could admire his wealth. He could enjoy his mansion. He could admire his luxury cars. But every time when he thought about the disease, everything he had would pale into insignificant. He was going to die a poor man. He had leprosy, and his fate was sealed, and that was it. Or was it, according to the story? He was a rich man, and we are told he had servants. And one of the servants he had was a girl they had forcefully uh, removed from Israel to come and serve in his kind of like palace. And this slave girl must have seen her boss, the madam of the, de of the house, 
stressing about the husband. You know, you know, you know, guys, whether we believe it or not, our wives actually do stress about us when we're not well. So she must have stressed, and the lady cleaning, and her, like your domestic workers, like, what's wrong, madam, today? You're just not looking good. The master has just been diagnosed with an incurable, dreadful disease. He's going to die a painful death. And, and the slave girl says to her, but you know where I come from in Israel, we have a prophet. And this prophet is able to cure leprosy. And it must have been an amazing thing. What? Is there a chance? Tells the husband, and the husband goes to the boss, the king, and he says, my slave girl tells me that there is a prophet in Israel who can heal leprosy. I would like to take 15 days leave and go and see this. And the king says, of course you must go. The king wanted this man to be well. The king wanted him to continue to protect him. I mean, he, he had a vested interest in the health of this guy. So he says, no, by all means, please, you don't even have to take 15 days. Take as long as you want. How nice it would be to have a post like that. <laughs> and I'm going to give you a letter that you must give to the king. I mean, there's a cultural understanding and background behind the letter coming from the king. It came with weight. But as you heard the passage being read, there was a misunderstanding between the king who sent the letter and the king who received the letter. But that's not my focus for today. Well, you can ask Martin to explain that to you later. But the king was very stressed when he received the letter. And the prophet heard of this. And he sent a message to the king to say, don't stress about it. Just send, send the general to me. And, and, and I'm going to help him. And so the king tells him, all right, you must go to the prophet. The prophet wants to see you. And off, and Naaman goes, you could see this man. You notice in the passage, it says he had horses and chariots. All right. So the modern version, so this guy must have had a number of SUVs. So there will be the guy on the freeway, get on there, get the blue lights going, and get the wee wee, so everybody could come out, and they can get to the prophet quickly. So there he was. He was going straight to Jordan to see, to, to, to meet the prophet. And when he arrived at the prophet's house, he was met by a servant, not the prophet. And the servant says to him, just go to River Jordan and jump in and out seven times. And then when you're done, you will be healed. And then you go home. This is where the story really begins, isn't it? Can you imagine this general, this big commander? He says, what? Is the prophet not going to come out and meet me? Is he not going to come and do some performance and call the Lord in my presence? Is he not going to wave his hand over the spot and cure the leper? Are the rivers of Damascus not better than this muddy Jordan River? Who does he think he is? That's, that's kind of like Naaman's attitude. Who does he think he is? I, I, I expected to come and meet me. I expected red carpet here. 
You know, uh, does he know? Does he know who has come to his place? Does he know? Elisha sitting inside couldn't be bothered. And so Naaman took exception to that. He was angry with, with this man. And obviously he would have been then angry with the girl back home. This slave girl, this prophet, has got no manners. How can he send me to Go to the river, jump in and out seven times. And Naaman's stature, a man of Naaman's stature, I mean, the whole thing just doesn't sound right. He comes in and a lowly servant of an unknown prophet tells him to go into the dirty river and jump seven times. Okay, not once, not twice, seven times. And the, and the guy thinks, you know what, I am not going to embarrass myself. Tells everybody, let's go back home. And boom, everybody in there, SUVs, blue lights on, wee wee, back on the entry, back home. But as they took off, as often Joe Beggars do when they go to Deben, you go to engine garage and you refresh and you have coke and you have coffee and, and, and all the stuff that you do. So as they were doing that, one of the servants go to him and he says, boss, boss, think about it. Think about it. All right? We are on our way back now. You're not cured. If the prophet asks you to do something so difficult, would you not have done it? I mean, the guy knows his boss. He knows that the boss would have done it. And the guy says, boss, you have nothing to lose. Go to that river. Jump in and out seven times and you'll be healed. Let's do it. He thinks about it and he thinks, maybe, yeah, maybe I should do that. And they get back in the car, back on the freeway, wee, wee, back to the river. And there they are. And you can imagine the scene. They're standing there and the, the, the man they revere, the most respected man, there he is in his pedos and he's about to jump in there. <laughs> and everybody standing there is like... <laughs> <laughs> he goes in, he comes up. He goes in, he comes up, and half of the guys are in stitches, but they don't want to be seen to be in stitches. In and out, in and out, he looks, it's gone. Suddenly, all the laugh comes to an end. Suddenly, all the stupidity of God makes sense. He looks at it. He shows his man. I'm healed. And everybody's excited. And back into their SUVs, woo, back to, the, to Elisha. And this time the prophet comes and he meets him. How was swimming, boss? <laughs> I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. But see something about Naaman. Now I know that there is no God in in all the earth, but in Israel. Can you see the shift? 
There is no other God except the God of Israel. Here's the evidence. I can see it. But I still want to pay for it. So, but I'm not going to call it down payment now. I'm going to call it a donation. How's that? Prophet, thank you so much for this incredible thing you've just done. Please accept these gifts. Please do. And what does Elisha do? Thank you so much for the offer, boss. It really is appreciated. But no, we will not be taking any of the donations today. He was probably short of just saying, but you can still give it to the poor along the road. He says, you can now go in peace. And shalom in the Old Testament, it's not the just absence of fight. It's the presence of God. It's harmony with people. It's harmony with family. It's harmony with colleagues. He says, go and have peace. Now, this story is a beautiful story. And uh, I wish I could tell it better. Uh, I'm not the greatest of the story terrorists. But here's the story. And we've heard it many times. But I want to tell you this morning that this story is not mainly about healing. The story of Naaman is not just about healing. It is about God's incredible salvation to an undeserving, self-righteous general. Naaman didn't deserve to be healed and didn't deserve the grace of God. But you see, like Naaman, you and I, we have a dreadful disease. And the disease is incurable. And the disease is called sin. Unlike Naaman, Naaman understood the gravity of the danger. Many of us do not understand the gravity of the danger. Sin is dreadful. And sin sends people to eternal, eternal condemnation. You know, some of us, if we're lucky, we're going to live up to, shall I be generous and say 120 years? <laughs> and many of us won't even cross 80. But we're talking about eternity here. Eternity. Forever. Naaman didn't deserve salvation. And dying without this disease being cured, you are condemned forever. And God in his goodness and mercy, he has sent a cure. And the cure is Jesus Christ. We didn't have to go looking for the cure. God has sent the cure to us. And God wants you and me to do something Humanly speaking, stupid. He wants you to repent of your sin. He wants you to ask for forgiveness and put your trust in Jesus Christ and you will inherit the eternal life. And that's it. And so when we proclaim the gospel and tell people that the solution to it is just trust in Jesus Christ, the, the question often is, is that it? Is that it? Aren't you going to tell me that I'm going to stop this, I'm going to stop that, I'm going to stop... You know, give me some boxes to tick. 
Because then if I could tick the boxes, then I could feel I have earned my salvation. That's us. So we come to God and we say to God, we understand the whole deal of salvation, but we want to set the terms and conditions for it. And the biblical God would have none of it. None of it. See, our struggle is that we, we, we think sin is bad, but is not too bad. So the idea that Jesus would die for us, and it really, we, we, we don't accept that. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad that someone has to die for me. You know, you, you cough and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, look, I think you've got something serious here. We're going to have to do more tests. And the next minute you are being called by an oncologist. All right? And the oncologist says, come. And he tells you, look, you've got a very bad stage four lung cancer that has gone to your liver. And you say, no, 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 no. You just don't understand it. I just have a flu. That's it. The Bible says sin is that bad. And we say, no, no, it's just like a flu. Just, just get Corinzo C, you'll be sorted. And it is our struggle. With the grace of God, we don't like it because we want to work for things. We want to end things. And when God says it is, it is a gift, it's a grace that has been handed to you, we just find it difficult to do it because many of us don't really know what it is like to receive grace. Our children, we put them right down to performance assessment every evening. Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? No, he didn't do that yet. Therefore, you're not going to get your pocket money for that. He did it. And then you're not going to go to the mall this weekend. You do that. And then you're not going to do that. You see that? The, the element of grace is almost not even there to us as family. And so when something of eternal value is given to you, you just find it so difficult to accept it. But there is no other ways, my brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no other way. Jesus and Jesus alone is the cure for our sin. And the only way we could be saved from eternal condemnation is by coming to Jesus Christ and, and accept him as our Lord and Savior. It's just that simple. No other way. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells us that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. You get it? This morning... You can, you can come to Jesus Christ and receive your salvation through faith. And I want to remind you again this morning that God doesn't take care, doesn't care, sorry, He doesn't care about your wealth, your education, or your societal status. You might be a CEO and at work you are treated as such. But in God's economy, it counts for absolutely 
nothing. And Naaman failed to understand that. This was his mistake. As some scholars have pointed it out, I think correctly, Naaman wanted to be treated like a VIP who happened to be a leper. All right? He wanted God to treat him like a VIP who just happened to be sick. But God treated him like a leper who happened to be a VIP. God treated him like a sinner who just needed salvation. And so often when we come to gatherings like this and we hear the gospel, we still want God to treat us like CEOs who just happen to be sinful. And God treats us like sinners who happen to be CEOs. If you come to Jesus this morning and accept him as your Lord and Savior, the Bible promises that you will receive eternal life. That whatever your life was like, just like my life before I became a Christian, God will take care of it. Your friend, your colleague invited you to come to this gathering so that you may receive salvation. You have come to the place where you can receive salvation. But the question is, are you going to allow the spirit of Naaman to send you away empty-handed? Or are you going to swallow your pride Take the word of the Lord to your heart and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be saved. It comes down to that. You have come to the right place. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he asked a question, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? That man came to the right place. He met the right person. He asked the right question. He got the right answer and he responded with the spirit of Naaman. And he walked away empty-handed and condemned. God is calling you. Christ has died for your sins. So you don't have to pay for it. Will you come? Your friends brought you here. The question is, will you now take the final step? Will you humble yourself? Will you lift your heart to Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior? Let me give you a chance to do that, and I'm going to pray. Lord, we know that men create idols with eyes that can't see, with ears that cannot hear, with lips that can't talk, with hands that cannot touch, with feet that do not walk. But you have created us in your image. Lord, please soften our hearts 
and help us to have courage to come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in an attitude of prayer. As we've been singing and praying and listening to God's word, you may have felt God pressing in upon your heart, upon your mind, that today's the day you need to get right with God. Perhaps you've been resisting God because of your pride, but today's the day you need to humble yourself and say, Oh God, have mercy on me. If you want to get right with God, you can do that today as we pray. You do that by talking to God. So I'm going to help you if you want to get right with God today. I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can repeat the words of the prayer just quietly in the back of your head. It's very personal. It's between you and God. Now this prayer may not be for everybody. You may not be ready to pray this prayer. But there may be someone here this morning or listening on the website who knows today I need to get right with God. Well, here's the prayer. You repeat the words after me quietly in your head. Father, I don't understand it all. But I know that I need you. I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin. Will you rescue me? Will you make me a Christian? Will you help me to live under your leadership? And Father, we thank you that when we come to the end of ourselves, and we finally bow the knee before King Jesus and call on him for mercy that he hears and he answers. So Lord, I do pray that that may be true of some here today. Will you work by your spirit? Amen.